Chapter 28, verses 16 and following, now the reunion, as we turn the page in the handout. The new piece of information here that we didn't hear before. <coughs> the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So, what's the new thing here? Mountain. We weren't told about a mountain, and yet we sing about it, right? On Galilee's high mountain, right? We sing that, and here it is. So, we don't know what mountain it was. But when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Who is our doubter, usually? Thomas. Thomas, yeah, there may have been others. It does say some. And, of course, it may have been more than just the 12 here, or the 11. Uh, so, but some doubted. Uh, but they did worship him. That was the reaction of the women as well, to clasp his feet and to worship him. So the disciples do that too. We're going to take, take a step out of this now to look at the resurrection appearances. First of all, five on Easter Sunday that we're told about. First of all, the women at the tomb or running from the tomb, we saw them actually in the city if, if, where, or wherever it was. It was after they left the tomb. They run into Jesus and he says, greetings. And then early um, in the Gospel of Mark, it's after the women see him at the tomb that Mary Magdalene sees him in the garden. Okay, that's by herself. Then the travelers on the road to Emmaus uh, see him. Have you ever spoken to somebody from a different country and find out how they pronounce Emmaus? Um, I have a friend from, our, from, uh, 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 from uh, Chile, from Santiago, Chile, who pronounces it Emaus. And you can see that in the word, right? Um, but it took me a while. It made me have to, I had to take some real getting used to, to that, to that pronunciation of Emaus, but Emmaus. Uh, but the, that, that lasted the whole afternoon, pretty much all of Sunday afternoon. And then we're told that because of the, of, the, of the report of the women, that Jesus had also appeared to Peter in Jerusalem. So at some point he showed himself to Peter as well. We have that in Luke. We don't actually have the scene reported to us, though. We don't know what it looked like, but it did happen that Jesus appeared to Peter in Jerusalem. And then that night, the 10 in the upper room, that is the 10 without Thomas. Yes? We're not there yet. Yeah, that, that's why I put this together, was to show that it, 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 depending on the gospel, it kind of jumps back and forth. In some of the gospels, there's a very clear delineation. In Matthew and Mark, it's not so clear. It's more like boom, boom. We get a couple of bulleted points at the end, as if the guy's getting tired of preaching, and he has to quick finish. Um, and so this, this kind of happens that way. A week later, seven days after the resurrection, we're told in John that the 11 are there. This time Thomas is with them. That seems to be the one that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 5, or 15 verse 5. Um, and then we get uh, at daybreak the seven who are fishing in Galilee. 
a, a few days later, maybe two weeks after the resurrection. I just guessed with the 14 days. I don't know. Because we do have 40 to work with here. And are they all right in a row, two, three days, and then nothing for a month? Or are they kind of spread out? I kind of think that they're spread out. And then later, 21 days later, maybe, I have, that's my guess, is maybe three weeks later now, more than 500 of the disciples at once see him. And he also, we're told by Paul, appeared to, this would be his brother, James, and could very well be back in Jerusalem again. Um, and then finally, the ascension um, on the Mount of Olives, which is, oh, look at that. I've got, I misspelled 24 in the Luke 24 reference. Luke does not have that many chapters. I apologize. Uh, there is one book uh, in the uh, Apostolic Fathers that has 119 chapters, but uh, none of them have this many. So Luke 24 and then Acts 1 is the ascension. Again, the ascension on Mount Olives. The Great Commission happened much earlier back in Jerusalem, back in Galilee, on that mountain, back in Galilee. But the ascension happens up on the Mount, I'm sorry, down in Judea from the Mount of Olives, according to Acts 1 and Luke 24. Did I answer your question, Diane? Right now. Oh, you mean in, in, in Matthew? Yeah. That, that's what you're asking, is where did this... Right, the very first thing, that one. Then the 11 went to Galilee to Rome. So we got to, I got to, yeah. Yeah, they went to Galilee. Um, and then on our sheet, that would appear to be the... Very likely, the uh, appearance at um, the, the fishing appearance or uh, 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 the, um, the Great Commission, which it just occurs to me, I don't, have any, I don't even have the Great Commission on this sheet, do I? Uh, and I shouldn't. No, no, no. That's because we haven't gotten to it yet. In the, in the, I, I, it's not in the resurrection appearances, though. The, uh, the Great Commission. That's a separate piece of the, of the, of the chapter. But the Great Commission, therefore, happens sometime. Um, if I can put it this way, back on your, uh, we can just do it on the screen here. It happens somewhere in here. It's obviously not when the ten were there without Thomas but after Thomas had been there. And it seems like it's up in Galilee. So either it's the later at daybreak and then maybe the later that day or the even later to the more than 500 at once. It's in there somewhere would be the Great Commission. But it did happen on Galilee on a mountain and not the Great Commission is not the ascension. There's one is in Galilee and one is in Judea. So they're in two different places. Yes? I'm just wondering, obviously you have no answer to this, but what the disciples doing? Because these are a lot of big breaks in there. Yeah. Well, we're told some of it uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the second bullet here. They went back to fishing. Oh, yeah. You know, he's going to tell them, 
you know, wait for me, do this, do that, and they're, they're just waiting. And so part of the time they just go back to fishing. You know, nice day, let's go out. Okay, they take the boat out. If he needs us, he knows where we are. He's Jesus. And it turns out, absolutely. That's, they're the ones he appears to. So, so the seven without the four, right? No, eight, nine, 10, 11, eight, nine, 10, 11. Yeah, I can, I can count on my fingers. So the seven without the four. Um, and why not the four? Probably because Matthew didn't like boats. You know, you're going to come to some things like that, like some of the disciples weren't fishermen. Most of them were, but not all of them maybe were. So, one person in my family always vetoed when I wanted to go across Lake Michigan on the ferry. Yeah, see, that's my reaction, but it wasn't hers. So, Mackinac Bridge it is, you know. So that's what we would do. Although that wasn't much better. Yeah. The thing, I, the thing most people don't like about Mackinac Bridge is if you look down, you can see through the floor. You know. Yikes. Yeah. All right. The Great Commission. The slide got moved. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So first of all, with this great commission, number one, the source of the command. Who is giving it? The one with all authority. In heaven and on earth, all authority. So that's who it comes from. Now the content of the, of the commission. But we're going to talk about the four verbs also. So, number one, We'll just read it. In fact, let's, let's read the two verses together, shall we? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Um, there, there's a sacrament missing here, isn't there? In the Great Commission. Why isn't the Lord's Supper part of the Great Commission? Let's let's take a look at what the Great Commission actually is all about. Yeah. So, um, how many of you, uh, uh, Jared? I want you to count when they raise their hands. How many of you are retired teachers? I had nine. Is that wrong? I, uh, that's, that's a big chunk of this class, right? So, you teachers, let's do some grammar. <coughs> the rest of you are off the hook for a moment. I'm just going to pick on the teachers here. The, this, 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 this entire sentence, which is two verses long, has two equal main verbs. What are the two main verbs? Go and make. Go and make what? Make is a helping verb. Make disciples, right? Go and make disciples. And if you want to, make disciples is really the important part, except as my uh, colleague 
Um, uh, Mark Jeske was a, a, a pastor in inner city Milwaukee when I was a vicar. It was long before there was a TV series. Um, but uh, he used to point out that Jesus did not say, stay put and make disciples of all nations. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. So, but making, making disciples, but to do it by going, is the important thing. Those are the main verbs. What are the two subordinate verbs? Baptizing and teaching. And in this case, they are coordinate participles. Okay? They, and, 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 and our translator made it easy by making them ing participles, the easiest participle to, to spot, right? Because uh, when, when a participle gets an er or something or an ed, it becomes a little bit more uh, difficult to see. But when it's just a big old ing sitting out there, can't be anything else, it's a participle. And so baptizing and teaching, they are coordinate, which means that they are equal to each other. We call them what? The means of grace. Baptizing and teaching. This is the gospel in the word, teaching, and the gospel in the sacrament, baptizing. The Lord's Supper does not make disciples. The Lord's Supper builds up disciples and gives forgiveness, but it does not make disciples. You don't make somebody a, a, a convert by giving them the Lord's Supper. In fact, we're told not to do that, but to make sure that they can examine themselves and be in our fellowship. But baptizing, open to everybody. Teaching, available to everybody, right? Baptizing and teaching. So, but Jesus also gives us the baptismal formula, which is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I wonder every year if I should do it this way, and every year I do it. We teach baptism to our confirmands, and I end up wondering, should I have them practice or not? And I always end up encouraged by my colleagues to go ahead and have them practice. So for many years, I took a Raggedy Ann that we had from the, from the nursery. And uh, I asked the kids the first year, what should we call Raggedy Ann? We have to have a name for her. And uh, they didn't know the word Raggedy Ann, but that's what it was. And they called her baby stripy pants <laughs> because her, 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 her bottom was all striped. So I taught baptism with baby stripy pants. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then we would get the yarn of her hair all wet from a sink or a faucet or something like that. Then uh, one year she disappeared. Um, I don't know, I, I don't exactly know what happened to baby stripy pants, but she went away. And I thought, oh dear, what am I going to use for catechism? And uh, the same year, not long afterwards, there was a rash of something, rash, pink eye or something that went around our nursery. And some excitable mother threw away all of the plush toys in our nursery. In one day, she just pitched them. They went into the dumpster. And uh, next to the dumpster on the ground, I found Winnie the Pooh. We used to have these big Winnie the Pooh dolls that someone had donated. 
And since, since the Holy Spirit had saved Pooh from the dumpster, um, I grabbed him. And that's what we use now for baptism to replace poor baby stripy pants who's gone the way of all flesh. And uh, so now the kids have to hang on to this gigantic doll that's two and a half feet tall and a foot and a half around, you know. But now it rhymes. Winnie the Pooh, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit too. Amen. And so that was a, a, quite a serendipitous accident when we lost stripey pants because it didn't rhyme. And I w this was so long ago that I've now been told by one young man that he had to baptize his baby in an emergency. And he said, and pastor, I almost called him baby stripey, I mean Winnie the Pooh rather, when, when, when it came around. And I said, remember, remember what we learned in catechism, which is that it's, even if the baby's name gets changed, the baptism still takes. The Lord knows who his children are. We had, I have passages for that. Because did you know, I don't know if you know this, it's legal in Minnesota to change the name of a baby up to 12 months after the baby's born without having to pay for duplicate baptism or um, uh, birth certificates. Yeah. If you decide that Angle Iron isn't the best name for your new baby boy, you can change his name to Bob, you know, and it's okay with the government. In fact, the government would probably say, I think that was wise. So, okay. Um, I've been surprised once or twice. I'm, I'm not surprised by much anymore, but when a family told me that I was mispronouncing a baby's name and none of the letters they wanted me to say were in the baby's name, I thought, I don't know where you're getting that from, but that's a tough one. But okay, but anyway, so baptizing, it is a curiosity that in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not the formula used throughout the book of Acts. What do they say in Acts? Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. However, is it possible to believe in Jesus Christ and not in the Trinity? No. <coughs> so uh, dogmatically, we would say you can't do a baptism in the name of Jesus that isn't a, a Trinitarian baptism. We use the, 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 the Trinitarian formula so as not to confuse anybody, to, to say what Jesus said to say. But we could do it in Jesus' name. If you were in a hurry and flummoxed in the hospital, right? So twisted and turned around that you have to ask the nurse, where do I find water? And the nurse could say to you what the nurse said to me the first time I ever did it, which was turn around, dummy. Because there are four sinks in the room, and I'm asking where the where the water is. So, uh, and uh, and the nurse looked at me because I'm holding my communion kit. What are you doing with that? You know. So I was, into my, I mean, in my defense, I was I was I was dressed in my grubbiest clothes, unwashed jeans, sweatshirt, because we were still unloading the semi, having just moved here. I wasn't even installed at St. Paul's yet. And our, our secretary, Joanne Wolf, called me and said, one of our members just had a baby. There's a problem. Would you go and baptize the baby? Um, so I went and baptized. By the way, he's fine. Um, his, the baby's name is Ethan Schuff. 
Most of you know Heidi, his mother. She's, uh, what does she do? She's an illustrator for children's books, right? Um, a member of our congregation. But there was a complication with his birth. And uh, I baptized him almost with wine because I was just that, that excited. Which, by the way, in my ministry would have been my third baptism ever. As a missionary, I had only one. As a vicar, I, well, no, it was twins. So as a vicar, I had, it would have been my fourth baptism. I've told you about the twins, haven't I? The two little babies who were 20 weeks early. They would have fit in one hand this way if they'd have let me touch them. Sylvia Hakim's little babies, they survived. But baptized them. Jesus ends the chapter in the book with this comfort. After the command, the main act, the means to carry it out, the gospel and word and sacrament, he says he gives the promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the end of the age is the end of what age? Yeah, the end of the world. The end of the New Testament age is what we would probably say, but to the very end of ends until I come again in glory. It'll just take a moment, but if you don't mind, I would like to walk us also through something that is not in Matthew, but is in um, 1 Peter, which is in, and it's in the creed, and it is the descent into hell. Um, so at some point between what we sometimes call the resuscitation or the, have you heard this word before? The revivification. There's a tongue twister for you. Um, which is the coming alive again of Jesus. And before the coming out of the tomb, the resurrection. So between the resuscitation and the resurrection, after he opens his eyes, before he leaves the cave, came the descent into hell. There are five ancient views of this, four of which are wrong. So the medieval Catholic view that Luther was opposed to is that Jesus descended into one of the limbos, this uh, sometimes called the harrowing of hell, to rescue some who were meant to be in heaven. Oops, you got filed wrong. We're, we're gonna, we corrected the paperwork and now you get to come to heaven. B, was it an evangelism journey into hell to give some another chance to come to heaven? Hey, did you change your mind yet? Uh, then there are two that are reformed views, which is that he went there to complete his suffering. But that is completely eradicated by it is finished on the cross. And then, and here's, remember I mentioned Boltzmann a little while ago? Here's his theology showing up. That it's only figurative. That he was somehow buried. That, that hell here just means the, another word for the grave or something like that. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad to cancel our reservation. By the way, uh, letter D, the only figurative, he, he didn't really descend into hell, is the official doctrinal position of the ELCA. This is in their, in their official textbook. Their first president of ELCA was, um, I forget if it was Broughton or Jensen, but he and the other guy wrote the first dogmatics textbook of the ELCA back in the 80s. And that, that was their position, that Jesus did not uh, descend into hell. 
or suffer hell, but that it was only figurative. So the, the scriptural, of course, view that we're taught in Peter and in Colossians and other places is that he went there to proclaim the victory over the devil and those spirits who were with him, such as those who died in the flood. That's what Peter's getting at, um, is, and, or, or, or Paul, rather, that, for example, all of those who died in the flood were all unbelievers. For example, he went to preach to them, to tell them that the victory is won. So this is 1 Peter 3.18, the clearest passage. Christ also suffered once for sins in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in flesh, but was made alive in spirit, in which he also went and made an announcement to the spirits in, in prison. This is the EHV of 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19, very carefully translated. Colossians 2, where he makes a public display also based on this. I have found over the years many references at the end of Psalm 22, at the end of Jeremiah, other places, examples of the kinds of things Christ might have said to those who are in hell. But I draw it this way for my catechism kids. We begin with this perfect sketch of the tomb. And there are sound effects. So first of all, Jesus comes to life again. That's the star and it's always ding. Let's all say ding. That's Jesus coming to life. Then he descends into hell. By the way, I use the mathematical symbol for square root because it perfectly traces out the path of Jesus in the descent into hell. Not because I'm doing math. Okay, heaven forbid that I do math in public. But uh, that's, that's, that is the path. Down in hell, Jesus proclaims the victory, which as a child I used to do after I won a basketball game when I was five, and what sound would I make? No. <laughs> That's the victory proclamation in hell. Yeah. Then Jesus returns to the tomb because he does come out of the tomb um, to emerge, and then he's out. And by the way, when he starts to appear to people then, I usually have a picture of Mary Magdalene here, it's ta-da! Okay, let's just go through it again. Ding! Oops. Ta-da! That's the descent into hell. Okay, so with sound effects and with arrows, there you are. God bless you all. Good to have you here. Thanks for letting me do this. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.